Blue Cliff Record, Case 59. Joe Shoes, why don't you quote to the end? Engo's Introduction. Commanding heaven and earth, transcending holy and mundane. Even in the myriad weeds, he shows the marvelous mind of nirvana. In the midst of dharma battle, he knows the pulse of a Zen practitioner. Tell me, what is the power that allows him to be this way? See the following. Main subject. A monk said to Joshu, you often quote the words, the great way is not difficult, just avoid choice and attachment. As soon as you say a word, choice and attachment arise. How then can you help someone? Joshu replied, why don't you quote to the end? The monk said, I have only this much in mind. Joshu said, you know, the great way is not difficult. Just avoid choice and attachment. Secho's verse, water pours, yet he does not get wet. Wind blows, yet it cannot penetrate. A tiger walks, a dragon runs, ghosts howl, spirits cry out. His head is three feet long. Who is he facing you without a word? He stands on a single leg. Anyone else dissatisfied with your seat? Please feel free to move closer, Jisho, so you can hear. Just bring your chair. You can see. You can read my lips. Okay. 
What is this little thing here? It's the Bluetooth connection that I hear in there. No kidding. <laughs> Does it work for her too? Behind you. This is wonderful. Can you hear me? Perfectly. Wow. Let's all get them. <laughs> hmm? If you wear hearing aids. I do. I've been doing sequential cases from the Hekigan Roku, the Blue Cliff record, for about the past five years. And we're already case 59 out of 100. So I may be alive to see this to the end. Why don't you quote to the end? And of course, the great way is not difficult, you remember, right? You heard it recently? From the first two lines of our third ancestor, So-san, his long poem that we recite on Fridays for our three-day sessions. Trust in mind, or believing in mind, or faith in mind. The great way is not difficult. Just avoid picking and choosing. Avoid choice and attachment. Don't be addicted to preference. So in this way of not being uh, preferential, we have, I think, five or six different picks and choices for how to translate it. One faith in mind, two, inscribed on the believing mind, three, on trust in the heart, four, the believing mind, five, have faith in your mind, six, the believing mind, sometimes they agree, seven, inscription on faith in mind, eight, trust in mind, nine, a song of enlightenment, ten, gatha of sun song, and the same with the first two lines. Clark's, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. Suzuki, the perfect way knows no difficulties, except that it refuses to make preferences. Whaley, the perfect way is only difficult for those who pick and choose. Blythe. There is nothing difficult about the great way, but avoid choosing. Shangyun, <laughs> the supreme way is not difficult if only you do not pick and choose. 
Luke, it is not hard to realize your mind, which should not be an object of your choice. So you can see there is quite a variation. And so in my picking and choosing, I've simply edited DT Suzuki because it's, after all, our very important ancestor for whom the Zen Studies Society was formed to support his work. And because I think his translation is very good, but has some kind of um, archaic uh, and sometimes difficult or obscure passages. So I've, I've basically used that. The great way is not difficult. Now, some of you may remember a little bit about So-san's life. That little bit is all we know. We know he was the third ancestor. Who did he follow? Hmm? Ekka. Who did Ekka follow? Bodhidharma, very good. He uh, died, Sosan died in, in 606. We don't know how long he lived. And he was in his 40s. He was still a lay practitioner when he visited Ekka and became ordained and received Dharma transmission from him. He lived at a time of government persecution of Buddhism. We're talking about the years 574 to 577. <coughs> Temples were destroyed, and monks and nuns had to flee. Great political disruption and suffering, much like later in the Tang Dynasty, in the 840s, a great Zen masters of that era, too, had to live through that. And of course, again, in the Cultural Revolution in the 1900s. And what about here in the coming months? Who will have to flee? Who will have to hide? Who by fire? Who by water? So Sosan hid in the mountains. And we really know very little. He's referred to in the various lamp records and kind of a legendary tale, for example, is that he had leprosy and that when he attained enlightenment under Eka, his leprosy was miraculously cured. And he was said to have been able to tame the many wild tigers who lived in the mountains. So his poem, faith in mind, or unbelieving in mind, trust in mind, 
is really a poem of his own deep insight, a song of enlightenment, in which he shows us fundamental truth simultaneously with relative aspects of the mind. And it's kind of a wonderful recipe. So we recite it each session. And by now, you know how to cook, right? You can follow it. He says, when you are <clears throat> free from aversion and craving, this is the recipe. When you are, then it reveals itself fully and without disguise. And he says, wordiness and intellection, the more with them, the further astray we go. So in this particular case, we hear about words. So we'll get back to that. But regarding this recipe, the Diamond Sutra puts it in a slightly different way, but when you think about freeing yourself of your preferential mind, I'm sure you think about it all the time, right? Yeah. When you're sitting, what comes up so often is this preferential mind. And the Diamond Sutra says, If a bodhisattva holds the idea of an ego entity, a personality, a being, or a separated individuality, she is not a true bodhisattva. When we are attempting to free ourselves of preferential mind, what is that preferential mind based on? When you want to free yourself of preferential mind, what is preferential mind based on? Separated individuality. An ego entity, a personality, a being, a separated individuality. Right? This idea that we are, that we have this selfhood, and that this constructed, conditioned, separated individuality is what's real. This is a this is the problem that we're all struggling with. Who am I? Well, I'm a separated individuality. Oh, hi, you too. Oh, okay. This is it. And then the Diamond Sutra goes on to say, when a bodhisattva 
practices charity without cherishing any idea of form. So an idea of form in terms of uh, Sosan's poem is what? What would be form? The great way is not difficult. Just avoid choice and attachment. Every time we have an idea that is self-referential, it immediately brings into play choice and attachment. Have you noticed that? There is no choice without this separated individuality. The great dictator, I want, I need, I don't like, go away. So there are four related koans dealing with Sosan's verse and Joshu's quotations from this poem in the Blue Cliff Record. Just on these two opening lines, uh, Blue Cliff Record, as some of you know, is compiled by Secho Juken, who lived from 980 to 1052, and was a wonderful poet and a Zen master, and the author of the verses that appear in the Blue Cliff Record. So he compiled these hundred koans, and he did this about a hundred years earlier than the Mumon Khan, the gateless gate that Mumon put together. And later on, Engo Kokogon, who lived from 1063 to 1135, wrote introductions and comments and notes. So almost all of the cases we used from this Blue Cliff record begins with Engo's introduction and ends with Secho's verse. So this is Zen class, okay? Always good to have understanding of when you read these koans or hear about them, who brought them together, how they were offered to you, and a little bit about people who, uh, who are featured in them. So these two lines were a great favorite of Joshu Jushin, the great master, the great brilliant poet himself, very sparing in his use of words, very pithy. And it was said that his way of presenting Zen was so sparkling that his lips emitted light. This is Joshu. And as most of you know, he was a disciple of Nansen, not only a disciple, but they were together for decades. And what a cherished, mutually loving relationship they had. And after Nansen passed away, Joshua was 57 at the time. He was born in 778. 
He spent three years mourning his teacher. And then at the age of 60, began a pilgrimage throughout China. And as Nikki referred to yesterday, this period was not an easy time to be on the road. There were, of course, the wild animals and the bandits to contend with and the long and arduous, uh, really dangerous trails over the mountains and through the passes. But again, this government persecution of Buddhism was taking place. So at the age of 80, Joshu finally became the abbot of a temple. He settled down in the town of Joshu in northern China, not far from Rinzai's temple. And Rinzai passed away when Joshu was 88. He outlived many great Tang Dynasty masters, passed on himself at the age of 120. So as I say uh, about his quoting Sosan's introductory two lines of this poem, it's not just mere quoting. These lines were his own, mirrored his own mind. The great way is not difficult. Just avoid choice and attachment. After all, think about it. He became abbot of a temple at the age of 80. So he knew this recipe intimately. He was offering himself via Solsan's poem. And it's what happens for us when we begin to see more and more clearly. You, some of you know the expression, what comes in through the front gates, right? What are the front gates? the senses, and so it refers to what you might hear, read, etc. Someone else's words. And so usually there's a, pejor a pejorative aspect to that expression, what comes in through the front gates, somebody else's truth. But when you really clear up choice and attachment, all of the ego clinging that goes on, then what you hear or what you read is nothing but your own mind taking this form. And nothing can disrupt it. The word confidence with faith. It is so natural. It 
it's your own mind speaking. And so this case 59 that we have today of these four cases in which Joshu quotes Sosan may remind some of you of case 39 of the gateless barrier, a mistake in speaking. When someone is offering the dedication, Buddha nature pervades the whole universe, and someone else cuts in and says, aren't those the words of Chosetsu the genius? And what do you do? So here, Joshu is one with these words, cannot be dis what? Huh? Can't be distracted from it, can't be dislodged from it, just one with. If somebody comes along and says, Joshu, Aren't those the words of the great Sosan? What would he say? No, now we're talking about Joshua and Sosan, right? Thank you, thank you, thank you cannot be dislodged. It is his own. So let's review while we're in Zen class. Case two, Joshu said, the great way is not difficult. Just avoid getting caught up in preference. I'm going to give you a few little changes of translation as I go. As soon as words are spoken, there is preference or there is clarity. This old monk does not have that clarity. Do you get the meaning of this? A monk asked, if you do not have that clarity, what do you have? Joshu said, I do not know. The monk said, if you don't know, how can you say you don't have that clarity? <laughs> Joshu said, you've asked the question. Now you can make your bows and leave. <laughs> so that's case two. And then three in succession make up these four cases. So the next one is case 57. A monk said to Joshu, it is said the supreme way is not difficult. Just avoid choice and attachment. What are non-choice and non-attachment? Joshu said, from the heavens above to the earth below, I alone am the world-honored one. The monk said, isn't that still choice and attachment? Joshu cried, 
You bumpkin! Where is there any choice and attachment? The monk was speechless. Now, probably those of you who were here last session remember case 58. So I will ask you to say it. Anybody? With confidence? I'll, I'll help you. <laughs> A monk said to... You so often quote the words Isn't that your point of attachment? Spunky monks, huh? <laughs> Joshu said, Someone asked me the same question once before. Five years later, I still have no justification for it. So that brings us to today. Case 59, another monk goes to Joshu and again quotes the same two-line beginning. You often quote the words, the great way is not difficult, just avoid choice and attachment. As soon as you say a word, choice and attachment arise. So here he's paraphrasing Joshu's second line of case two. If you say a word, there arise choice and attachment. Then the monk asks, how then? Okay, so keep in mind, if you say a word, there arise choice and attachment. In other words, you're in trouble. Okay, keeping that in mind, that being the case, how then can you help someone? How then can you help someone? How can we help others? This is a sincere question from this monk, okay? And it's a question we all can relate to, right? We're here in Bodhisattva Boot Camp, also called Session. And why? What brings us here? I think everyone without exception has this sincere wish to be of help. Maybe I'm mistaken. <laughs> How can we help others? You all know examples of using words and finding great misunderstanding. And then somebody said, and you say, but I was only trying to help, right? So how can we help if we can't speak 
This is the implication here, right? How do we respond when someone is asking for help? You, some of you know case five of the gateless barrier, Kilgen's man in a tree. He's hanging by his teeth. His arms can't reach a bough. His legs cannot reach a limb. There he hangs, and someone comes along underneath and says, so why did Bodhidharma come from the West? And of course, this is a way of saying what? Hmm? What is this question really asking? He's not looking for history lesson, right? More intimately. Or just, help! <laughs> so many people in our lives are asking for help, right? And what is the usual thing we turn to? Wordiness and intellection. Concepts. All kinds of ways explanations, definitions. And of course, this monk, too, thinks that help depends on the right, having the right thoughts, which then become the right words, which then become the right actions. Hmm? The problem is that as we have seen Words depend on concepts, and concepts remove us from that plea, P-L-E-A, plea, from that plea for really transformation from suffering everywhere everyone is making this plea in one way or another usually not in a way we can understand the trouble with coming from a conceptual and conceptual uh, response is that it can be seen as meddling when someone asks for help and we cogitate and we decide what will be the best course of action for this person to take. It very often is perceived as condescension or intrusiveness or even take session. You know, you go around and you see someone, you don't know that person, must be a new person, you say, oh, turn that around. Turn that way. Yes, it's helpful, but 
how much more wonderful if you just let it be and allow the person to notice himself that his covering cloth is upside down. And you know what? What difference does it make? <laughs> People like to feel superior, so they, <laughs> I know how to do it. And this is a dangerous thing in our practice. It's not just here in the Zendo, all right? It's the way we treat others. Well, based on my experience, I'll tell you what to do with your life. Well, excuse me, but your experience may not match 100%. In fact, there may be even a larger gap. And of course, our Native American friends have a wonderful expression, right? About this, anybody? Walk a mile in, someone else's moccasins. in, hmm? in someone, else's, someone else's moccasins. Yeah, before you try to help someone, walk a mile in that person's moccasins. Have a little humility. Have some intimacy before you say, you should do it this way. According to what? So this is something we really have to think very deeply about how to help. Words rarely are the way. A kind of condescending, meddling attitude, definitely not the way. So how do we respond? You know, we have faith in explanations. We have faith in conceptual mind. We have faith in definitions. We have faith in wordiness and intellection. But we seem to lack faith in the supreme way, the great way. And where is that great way anyway? This is the, uh, the great way joke. It's a great way joke. <laughs> but it's true in general, right? Fundamentally, all beings have Buddha nature. Let's go find some Buddha nature. Is your Buddha nature better than mine? Let me have it. This is a weird thing, but you know, when you really start to look, it's, it's quite interesting. What we must have faith in, this supreme way, which needs no explanation whatsoever, which is absolute, perfect, as the Diamond Sutra says, unlimited, unconditional. And where is it? 
under your moccasins, not under someone else's. So we're too accustomed to relying on, even though we are told in the Diamond Sutra there is no formula sabuti, we re really are accustomed to GPS, right? Somewhere there's some schematic that will help me find out. And these become, these, these uh, assistants, whether they're electronic or written out words, become entangling briars. All the great teachings, when they are not our own, when we are looking for our own in them, become entangling briars. The katoshu, book of koans, English translation is entangling briars, entangling weeds. And of course, we really feel more intensely than ever that we need to do something. We need to help, let's say, our country. Our country right now, so much in disarray. There is so little confidence that anyone knows what to do. So much fear, what will happen if? And it's not just some kind of vague, abstract projection. We're already living in it. So much ill will. People around the world are looking on aghast. America first. We all understood what make America great again meant. Make America white again. And we are now in the process of having an Aryan nation formed right here. So more important than ever, this question, how do we help? How do we put into practice the help that comes not from schematics, not from the formulae, not from GPS, but from our own insight and compassion, from our own bodhisattva training ground, You know, when we recite the great vows, Shujo Muhen Gando, we don't do so with any expectation of an outcome, right? We don't say, well, I will do my best to save all beings as long as they really get saved. We just vow 
without any presumption of success. And so, how do we help means we do this practice with all our might, all our hearts, entering into the depths, going down, 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 and meeting right to the end. When you are hurling yourself into move, there is no self-identity there. There is just move. Move all the way to the very bottom of the breath, and then more. And what you find is a doorway. And going through that doorway, then what? Then you discover that all your self-imposed limits are of no consequence whatsoever, have no substance at all. Continuing on without hesitation. Some of you may have met Margot Wilkie, who is one of the benefactors who helped us when we were trying to purchase this property. She died at the age of 100, something like that. Hmm? My oldest, dearest friend, she and I were practicing together way back when, before the establishment of Shoboji. And I just wanted to read a little bit from this book that was put together of things she said. It's called Staying Steady. She was so humble about her practice. She practiced Zen for many decades and then became a student of Domo Geshe Rinpoche. So when we do our dedication for Mandala Day, we dedicate to him. We dedicate also to those who helped us with this place, and she is one of them. I remember every once in a while to stop darting around in my mind. You say that to yourself, and then, of course, you dart. It's so hard to get after yourself. But every once in a while, when you are quiet enough and have had enough of a Buddhist type of day, you can get all of the stuff out of the way, and then you can hack away at the tight door. You can come closer to waking up than you normally get to do. 
It's so wonderful when you are lucky enough to feel that way. Every now and again you think, oh heavens, this is going to happen to me. You begin to realize this is what you have to do. Don't tie yourself up. Allow where you are going to appear to you. So much of our difficulty lies in the fact that we, out of our preferential mind, create some or project some idea of where we're going and what it will look like when we get there. So this is a very important thing. Allow where you are going to appear to you. Allow yourself to be something that you know about. Who better to know, right? Allow. This allowing we rarely can do. We're so caught up in, oh, I have to. You know, the language of enslavement. I need. You're trying to get somewhere where you aren't involved egotistically, so you understand something. It's very hard because so much of the time you want a little cookie. (laughs) The door that keeps you away from awakening isn't really a door. It is a place you know you ought to go. You realize it's where you want to go. Something is telling you, throw everything else away. Get in there. Get into wherever it is that you are going. You met Margot, right? Practicing at Domo Geshe Rinpoche's Gangyam Temple. So how do we help? How do we realize and actualize this dharma? Sitting together, sometimes standing, sometimes marching, but not getting caught up in oppositional mind. So important. It's very easy to think I'm right and he, the big DT, is wrong. (laughs) Taking sides creates unending reactivity. So it is a tall order how we can help. And so we have to really look at why we make the great way difficult. 
why we fall into choice and attachment over and over again, why we are so blindly obedient to habit formation, to our usual thought formation, you know, clinging and aversion, right? So we have to, to put it bluntly, we have to see our own shit. We can't sweep anything under the rug in this practice. We can't be spiritual bypassers. We have to really understand atadukkha. Huh? Then, only then can we do truly confession, purification, and realize those we see as persecuting us are avatars of Buddha, who uses devices to emancipate us from harmful karma. And going through this process, then, then, in each moment, each moment's flash of our thought, what is there? A lotus flower, and on each lotus flower is revealed a Buddha. This is the real deal. And it comes about because we're willing to undertake the real deal. Huh? So embracing things as they are. And continuing, continuing on, being steady, little by little. Reactivity changes into equanimity, maybe just for a moment. But after that moment, something's different. And there's trust that it can happen. And out of that trust comes the supreme way is not difficult after all. And realizing a single word brings about discrimination, brings about preferential mind, better, different, here, there. And so just letting it go again and again with this faith that when we just do this, the great way is indeed unfolding at our feet, step after step, this Daido, great way. Daibosatsu, each one of us, this great bodhisattva, walking and falling and picking ourselves up again and taking another step 
Every time we walk, we fall. Sometimes just enough to put the next foot down. Sometimes crashing down. And we don't know where we are going. And because we don't know when we get there, we will know what to do. Clearing away all that artificial projection of what we are going to do to help others. Just being, being with fierce determination not to swerve from this great way. And therefore, we come to see Atadukha is Atadipa. This, you are the light. This grace, this wonder, this offering, and no problem using words, all right? Words coming from this offering are nothing but offering itself. Not based in conceptual mind, choice and attachment. So Joshu tells this monk when he asks, how can you help someone? He says, why don't you quote to the end? Now, as you know, the end of Sosan's poem comes quite a few pages later <laughs> from these first two lines. That's one way to look at it, all right? That's the usual logical mind. Why don't you quote to the end? A challenge to the monk, no doubt. But what is Joshua really saying? The monk doesn't get it. He says, I have only this much in mind. It's very interesting. He doesn't realize, perhaps, the pun of what he's just said. I have only this much in mind. It may mean the usual... I don't remember the rest, right? Or this is all that matters. I have only this much in mind. This is it. But I don't think that he gets the impact of his own words. It's so often the case, you know. We kind of miss it, even as we're saying it. The words without the concepts. And we're so lost in the concepts that we don't realize what we've just said. In that way, any words are nothing but the truth itself. But of course, we're too busy trying to figure them out, analyze them, right? No better way to kill a poem. The whole of it, I only have this much in mind. That's enough for me. <laughs> mm. You think this much in mind as the whole of it, 
and has never before been spoken. Joshu quotes Sosan over and over again. Each time, it's the first time, the only time. This is what Soen Roshi said when asked about when he answered his own question, asking, what is beauty? What is beauty? That which is unrepeatable. The great way is not difficult. Unrepeatable. So Joshu responds after the monk says, I have only this much in mind. Joshu then says, you know, the great way is not difficult. Just avoid choice and attachment. So relaxed, very conversational, you know? To relax into zazen. Second day of our three-day session. There is no need to put anything on top of the head you already have. To relax into your own breath. No tension, just bare attention. There is no urgency to get something. There is only urgency to be as you are, as it is. Hardest thing in the world. This is the supreme way. This is the great way. So I won't go into Secho's verse, which is basically about this kind of impervious and impenetrable quality that Joshu and that this great way both provide for us and this strange three-foot-long head. Who is it? Who is this? This monster. Who is it? Is the master in? But I do want to end with a poem, not Secho's, but Mary Oliver's. This is from a book called Thirst that she wrote after, like Joshu, she had a long, long partnership, and deep, deep relationship, 40 years with Molly Malone uh, living in Provincetown. And she wrote a number of poems after Molly's death were collected in this book, Thirst. When I am among the trees, especially the willows and the honey locust, 
equally the beach, the oaks, and the pines. They give off such hints of gladness. I would almost say that they save me and daily. I am so distant from the hope of myself in which I have goodness and discernment and never hurry through the world, but walk slowly and bow often. Around me the trees stir in their leaves and call out, stay a while. The light flows from their branches and they call again. It's simple, they say, and you too have come into the world to do this, to go easy, to be filled with light and to shine. Well, I failed again. I told myself I would be done by four. I am not. So I will suggest to the Tenzos that they beat it on out of here. <laughs>